One night I was rowing along, minding my own business, having a chat to Kate who was behind me and and this almighty slap hit my face. Thud, it hit my face with such, such a bang. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast where we talk to athletes, adventurers and business owners from around the world of adventure sports. Whether you're climbing Mount Everest, starting a bike shop, or getting up off your couch to take your kids hiking for the first time, we want you to have the motivation and inspiration you need to chase that next adventure. The Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by Camp Crate, the leaders in fully planned self-guided backpacking adventures, as well as backpacking gear rental. You can check them out at campcrate.net. Hello, Adventure Sports Podcast family. Welcome to the show. You didn't know you were a family, did you? Well, sorry about it, but you are. You're our family. And I hope you had a good weekend and you did something exciting. I did not do anything too exciting. Uh, I thought about doing a lot of exciting things, but <laughs> I didn't actually do anything except produce this show. So that's something, I guess. Anyway. Um, today's episode is with Laura Try. I go into a little bit of what she did in the in the during the interview, but I'll tell you a little bit more. She, well, first of all, what a great name, Laura Try, for an adventurer. She she tries a lot of things. She actually lives up to her name and has done a lot of very interesting adventures. Uh, she once rode around Great Britain. Um, Rowed by rowing a boat. That's what I mean. Yeah, she rowed a boat around the perimeter of Great Britain, which was like 1,800 miles or something. Crazy. And now she just kind of came across the opportunity to row a boat across the Atlantic Ocean with a team of all women. And they rowed the boat 24 hours a day in two-hour shifts, which is crazy to me. Um, But not only that, she just had some... Just cool stories, great reflection about the experience. So I hope you enjoy. Uh, just an enthusiastic person, contagious, contagious attitude. She was just such a pleasure to have on. So enjoy. Uh, also, our, our buddy Jeremiah that we had on the show uh, close to a month ago now, he has started his Appalachian Trail hike. He is already in North Carolina, making his way uh, up to Virginia or Tennessee, whatever's next. And yeah, he's he's on it. He I see pictures from him every day. Jeremiah Foos. Um yeah, follow him. Give him some encouragement. He's doing great and he's posting some beautiful pictures. So super proud of you, Jeremiah. Keep it keep it up. Keep going, man. And uh for all those other folk out there that are planning their own adventures this year, man, let us know about it. Uh we, we want to hear from you. And also uh we have a big announcement coming next week. So keep your ears open for that. It's going to be it's going to be awesome. Anyway, today's episode is brought to you again by Peak Refuel. Freeze-dried meals, give them a shot at peakrefuel.com. Use the code ASP20 at checkout for 20% off. It is what I'm using on my backpacking trips this year is what I put in camp crates because I trust them to make the best meals for backpacking, for hunting, for camping, anything where you want to have a great meal with minimal water and minimal effort, uh, give them a shot. Also, y'all continue to share this show. We really appreciate it every time someone shares it, someone tells your friend about it. We get new listeners all the time that say, man, I wish I'd have known about this show a year or two ago. This would have helped so much, you know, give me ideas, inspire me to start my own adventure, uh, help, help me create what I wanted to do next. So you're doing a disservice to the people around you if you're not showing them this show, tell them, telling them about it, and uh, getting the word out there. Because we, we believe what we say and what we uh, talk about on the show is worth more and more people knowing about. So thank you if you're doing that. And if you're not, you better start. I'm going to come after you. I'm just kidding. All right, here's the episode. 
So welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, today we have Laura Try. She has, she's done a lot of things, but two two big trips she's done, and we're going to be talking about today is she rode eighteen hundred miles around Great Britain, and most recently on a team, she rode across the Atlantic Ocean on a team of four people, all women. First time that's ever been done. Laura, welcome to the show. Oh, hey, Mason. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Like when you when you say those two things, it sounds it sounds crazy, actually. Like, I can't believe that it was me that did it. That's fun. You know, that's funny you say that because we get a lot of people that say that about their trips. They look back, especially like if it's gone, you know, a decade and say, wow, I can't believe that was me that did that. But you're saying that and you've only it's only been like a few months since you did the trip. Yeah, I only got back from the Atlantic um, less than six weeks ago. And actually, before we carry on, um, there have been several teams before me, female teams before me that have done the race. So I don't want people to think that we were the first females to row across the Atlantic. But we were the the first females to cross the finish line. So um, just just wanted to, to clarify that in case people think that I'm claiming a record that I didn't do. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks for clarifying that because I, I read some news, art, news articles about it, and I did. Did some people have some misunderstanding about that um, that you read? Um, I think that people, I think, can hear some stories, and maybe it just takes one little sentence misunderstood, and actually, uh, you know what the media is like. So, uh, yeah, I just thought I'd put that in. But like you say, I've been back six weeks and um, like, it, yeah, even that short space of time, it doesn't feel like I did it. It's so strange. Perhaps it's because it was such a huge challenge and then coming back to real life, I just, my brain maybe is just compartmentalized that challenge and just kind of gone, okay, yeah, you did it. And now let's carry on back in the real world. Yeah. So you know we that is definitely a phenomenon that happens after a big trip like this but all my trips all my experience with that have always been it's been a little more familiar because it's been on land like I'll I'll go into a hike or a bike trip but I'm still on land the whole time you know what I mean so there's a lot of things that are similar but this is just like this is like being on a different planet almost where you're just on this moving vessel with this the similar scenery for um, over a month yeah exactly exactly like you've just said it was basically living life you know when you go to uh the arcades or the circus or the fun fair and there's those um those bucking broncos and then you sit on them and they spin around and they go backwards and forwards and everyone laughs and people fall off <laughs> it was it was basically like living on a bucking bronco because you could barely stand up. You just got thrown around all the time because, yeah, you were just living on this tiny little floating vessel for six weeks, just kind of bobbing along on the ocean and just at the absolute mercy of Mother Nature. Oh, my God. I bet it was so hard to adjust to not moving around all the time. Yeah, weird to not walk and weird to not be able to stand. So you basically just spend your time either kind of sitting or crawling or, or laying down. And then we did work it out once that um, we would take less than 30 steps per day because my cabin was literally two steps away. So I would get off, do two steps, and then I would just go and lay in the cabin. So walking wasn't a thing. Standing wasn't a thing. So it was just more kind of a shuffle. Um, and now – I don't have any familiarity with rowing across the ocean other than we've, we've interviewed a lot of people doing it, but I've actually never asked this. Do you ever jump in next to the boat for a swim to try to get a, a little leg workout in or is that too dangerous? Yeah, absolutely. You, you definitely get in. In fact, it's advised because um, as the boat is traveling along, it picks up lots of algae and lots of little barnacles that grow on the bottom of the boat. And so that actually slows the boat down. So you're encouraged to get in about every five to seven days. You do strap yourself on. So you're wearing a harness and you've got a safety line that's attached to the boat and you jump in and you 
swim underneath the boat with your goggles on and scrape off all of the algae and the barnacles. But of course, it's just such a great opportunity to get outside of those kind of small parameters of the boat and just move in a different way. So you're you're able to kind of twist and float. And it's just so nice to get in the sea and cool down because it's so hot out in the middle of, middle of the Atlantic and you just get so tired and so achy. So to then throw yourself off the side of the boat to clean it is just gorgeous. It's um, it really just that a small amount of people in the whole world would have got that opportunity. And then you, you jump in and you just feel so free. And then for me personally, um, after a few minutes, I would then get a bit scared as in I don't know what's underneath me or I don't know what's around me. I don't know what can see me because, of course, the Atlantic Ocean is five kilometers deep. But also that that scared feeling was also really exhilarating and really exciting, got the adrenaline going. So there were so many things that I loved about getting in the ocean next to the boat. It was a really special moment. I mean, I just kind of, I just shook a little bit out of just, uh, it gives me just the creeps <laughs> to jump in the ocean. That's honestly my, one of my biggest fears is like being dropped in the middle of the ocean in the dark. I don't know why that sounds like the worst thing ever. Just looking down, especially with goggles on, you can see just how dark and deep it is. That's, that's gotta be freaky. Oh, like you said, get the adrenaline going at the very least but if it has to be done it's got to be done dang yeah it really did get the adrenaline going but admittedly I didn't look down for the first two times I didn't look down for the first two times and then the third time I said to the team right I'm gonna look down and I looked down the the ocean was so blue and so clear and the sun was penetrating all the way down and it just sparkled as the sun went down and actually it wasn't as scary as I first thought but also, even when I'm saying it now, it kind of still gives, still makes me tingle, you know, at that kind of the vast, the vastness of the sea. And, and there would, would have been so many animals just kind of watching my feet floating around. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that that freaks me out just thinking about it. I, <laughs> I've often contemplated rowing. It would have to I would not be the person that had to do that. I'd have to do something else, cook the meals or something yeah. for people. But um, man, could, could you just take us through, like, could you just go over the quick stats of the trip? Um, like who was on it, how many people, the boat, and then like where you went from and then how many days, how the distance and all that. Cause we haven't told everybody what, what the whole entirety of the journey is. Absolutely. Be my pleasure. So we, my team and I, we were called Row for the Ocean. We were four females from the UK and we had entered the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge, which is deemed the world's toughest row. And it's a race. So teams enter in this last year's race, there was 28 teams. So 28 boats left from La Gomera. And that's in the Canary Islands in Spain. And we left on the 12th of December 2018. And we then rowed across the Atlantic, which is 3,000 miles. And we headed towards Antigua in the Caribbean. And for us personally, we finished the journey in 43 days, 2 hours and 20 minutes. We were the first female team to cross the finish line. And we were 10th overall, which we were absolutely thrilled with. And the whole journey, we rode for two hours on and we rode, and then we had two hours off. Occasionally, we would do a little bit longer. But the, ma- the main body of, of the routine was two hours rowing and then two hours resting. And in the rest time, you wouldn't actually sleep for two hours because you had to um, go to the toilet and you had to eat your food. You had to look after your body, do some general admin on the on the boat and just make sure everything was working. So at any one time, we would probably get um, one hour, 20 minutes sleep at any one time. And then we would just wake up and just go rowing again. And we did that nonstop for 43 days through the day and through the night. You did two hours on and off 24-7 for 43 days straight. That's correct. Oh, my God. Yeah. Did, it, did that get old? Uh, um, it was absolutely brutal. That I've, I've done quite a few challenges in the past. I've also had challenges in my personal life. 
but I've never ever in my whole life been so consistent, consistently tired. I was, we, 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 the whole team, we were absolutely exhausted. In fact, I'm still to this day convinced that we were beyond exhausted. There needs to be a new word, uh, developed for what we were because we were hallucinating we were sleep talking we were dreaming with our eyes open one of the team members actually slept walked on the boat which is just so bizarre fortunately she was strapped on um so you just get to this place where you're so exhausted but the thing that keeps you going is is a your goal the finish line and the fact that we wanted to win but also you're in we was in such a strict routine. So pretty much we would do the same thing every day at the same time. And our subconscious then got so used to that and our body got so used to it that actually we just went on autopilot. And no matter how tired we were, we could still do the little jobs on the boat that needed to be done. And with such precision and we executed it so well because there wasn't actually anything else to think about. So for example, we didn't have social media and we didn't, really need to do our laundry we would just rinse it in a bucket we didn't really have to think well we didn't have to think about what we was going to eat because we ate the same thing every day uh, and we did the same thing every day and so therefore it was really really hard to do the two hours on two hours off but at the same time our body just got used to it our mind just got used to it and looking back even though I say I can't believe I done it at the same time it was just a really simple existence and so there was never a point where we would say, like, we just can't do this anymore because we was in it as a team and we just wanted to win. So we just we just kept on pushing. But I, I know I keep saying it. Like, I, I just can't believe that I – to say it, two hours on, two hours off for 43 days, like, it's uh, it was as though it wasn't me. That, that I just did the math. That is 516 shifts in – 43 days, you said a few more hours, so maybe 517, 518, but over 500 shifts of where you're, you're the whole, that is unbelievable to me. Oh, wow. You just, you just worked that out. Thank you. That's, um, that's a really great, a really, really cool stat. I mean, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around now. Is that a popular, uh, tactic for a rowing team? Cause I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's very, very popular. It's really okay. what everybody it's what everybody does. The two hours on, two hours off is um is really, really popular. And there has been has have been teams that have done slightly different. So maybe one hour on, one hour off, three hours on, three hours off. But but really the two hours is the is the kind of optimum. The the time in which you can put the most power into the oars, but then also recover. Um, any shorter than that, then you're not getting enough rest. And any longer, it's just, it's uh, really tough on, on, on the body. Wow. Now, now the two hours when you're rowing, do you take breaks at all during that? Like, or do you stop it off for even just a few seconds or is it just constant movement of the rows and pushing with your legs and all that? In an ideal world, then no, you don't stop at all because once you stop, you lose quite a lot of momentum. But it, the realistics of it are is that rowing in the scorching heat that can sometimes get to like a hundred degrees Fahrenheit, uh, which is what thirty-five. Do I mean just absolutely scorching? So then you do need to stop and you do need to have some water. But really, you don't want to leave your teammate who you're rowing with. You don't want her then pulling all the weight of the boat and lugging you along. So you just try and be really quick. There are times where you just can't escape needing to go to the toilet, but really um, we tried to be as efficient as we could and we tried to eat and do all of our jobs when we weren't rowing. So then when we were rowing, like we were rowing, like we did it properly. What was the difference in challenge rowing during the daytime and rowing at night on those two-hour shifts? Oh, such a cool question, actually. Really cool. I don't get asked that. Um, yes, so, but actually, yeah, <laughs> really, really cool question. And I have hopefully got a, a cool answer for you. So when we first started the challenge, rowing at night was, was just horrendous. So for two weeks, me personally, 
probably the mo- other members in the team did it as well. But for me personally, I would fall just be useless, falling asleep at yours. Absolutely, <laughs> just could not snap out of this intense tiredness. All I could think of was going to bed, and I thought, you know, this is this is not good enough. I'm letting my team down. So six hours, twelve hours of the day, or six of six hours of my rowing, so three shifts were just not very powerful because I was just so tired. But then I got used to it and then I was okay rowing at night. And then into about the third or fourth week, it swapped. So I was at the beginning really good rowing in the day and terrible at night. And then it swapped because in the day, the closer we got to the equator, the hotter it got. And the the sun, it might as well have just... Soon as it come up over the horizon, it it just sapped all of my energy and all of my team's energy because it was so so hot. And I would l- look at the sun, and I would pray for it to go down. So we would get twelve hours of day and twelve hours of night. And then soon as the sun would set, I would think, thank goodness for that. So now I can concentrate and now I can put some power into the oars because. I- I'm not going to overheat. I'm not going to sweat. I'm not going to get sunburned. So then it swapped. I didn't like the day in the second part and I was most powerful at night. And also I didn't fall asleep because I was used to rowing at night. So it it's interesting to have had that contrast to kind of not enjoy the night and then enjoy it and then quite the opposite for the day. I I bet it was a relief for sure. It it does get hot out there. Such a relief, and also I have so, I have a really fair skin, so I would just need to put so much sun cream on. And sometimes the sun cream wasn't enough, so it'd be number fifty, and I would then need to put on clothes. So I was rowing in thick sun cream and clothes <laughs> oh, and a hat man. and and like a towel over my legs, and I would just think, come on. I'm ready now. Like I'm ready to row in the night. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. I'm sure you have tried some freeze dried and dehydrated meals before, but I promise you, you've never had anything close to as good as peak refuel. Uh, They make freeze dried meals, which is different than dehydrated. It takes way less water to cook. It cooks a lot faster and they cook the meals before they put everything together a lot of companies just throw all the ingredients in there and when you cook it it's the first time it's ever been cooked with them all the flavors have cooked together it's super tasty and you can get 20 percent off by going to peakrefuel.com and using the code at checkout asp20 seriously give them a shot for whatever adventures that you have planned this year So when you were rowing, did you ever, especially when you were on shift, did you ever want to take a picture of something that you saw that was interesting but but couldn't? Yes. That's another good question. You're really good at these. Oh <laughs> no. uh, Yeah. I always had my little GoPro with me and I always had my um, my phone in my little backpack. So there were times where it, some of us would say, look, there's a really special moment right now. Um, you know, do you mind if I stop? And also it was really important for us to not be so strict that we actually couldn't enjoy what was going on around us. So for example, we were visited by dolphins. We were visited by whales. Wow. We, some mornings and some evenings, we just had the most breathtaking sunrises and sunsets. So on those, in those kind of moments, we would say, okay, we're going to take a couple of minutes off. And there were occasions where we would all stop rowing and we would all be on deck um, and we would just enjoy the moment for what it was. And then after a few minutes, someone would say, right, back back to it. We've got to get the boat moving. And then we would go right back to it. So, yes, there was times where that where we just captured those special moments. That is so crazy. I mean... So what was the overall mood? Was it a very late, not laid back, but like a cheery attitude? Or was it very, I don't know, like militaristic, like demanding? Like what was it most of the time? Because I know, you know, emotions are going to swing like crazy on a trip like that. Yeah. So the emotions didn't run as high and low as I first would have imagined. Um, 
we was always pretty much on an even keel. And if somebody was ha- having a bad day, it would tend to just be one person at a time, which was really fortunate because then the other three would be able to identify it and then mm. just try and help in some way. Um, and generally we were just of a really relaxed mindset that if something went wrong, we always knew that we didn't need to panic and that there was always a solution. Fortunately, nothing really went wrong, but if there was ever any challenging times, we would just say, right, this is the situation. Um, here are our options and let's get on with it. We knew that if we was to get upset or annoyed, then it would use our physical and mental energy. So on a whole, the journey was fairly relaxed in terms of the vibe, but we was always very focused. And obviously there was some upset and some challenge in times, but in reflection, when I look back, we just, you know, we just tackled it as a really strong team and like I'm so proud of us, especially as the four of us have never done an adventure before together. And I'd only known my team um, eight months before setting off. So looking back, what we did was just remarkable. And how we dealt with certain things makes me so proud. I, I remember I watched a video of right when you were coming in, it interviewed all four of you. And I was really surprised by, yeah, like you said, just how even keeled you were and how just, yeah, you were very laid back in the sense of everyone seemed very content and not, 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 no one seemed overly emotional in the sense of what you think you would need on something to tackle something so adventurous, but really that doesn't pay off in the long run. It kind of makes, honestly, it probably makes situations worse so I was really surprised by that because uh, I don't know. It just seems so hardcore that you just have to be extremely hardcore of a person to do it. But obviously, we talk to so many people on the show that's often not the case, um, and that's neat. I was actually going to ask what, how much did you know each other before then? You said eight months, so I guess you were training. Were you training on the boat, or or how did that work? Yeah, the girls that I. Um, rowed with they were all friends from their rowing team so they was all river rowers and they were looking for someone to join their team to row across the Atlantic they came across me on social media and they invited me to join their team in April 2018 I said yes straight away because it's a challenge that I've always wanted to do and then we set off in December so April May June July so that was eight months. We had eight months to get to know each other, spend time together, get out on the boat, learn about the boat, learn about each other. And actually, that's not a lot of time because the girls live in the the west of the UK and I actually live in the east. And so it was a really long train journey. It was six hours uh, to get there. Then we would train all weekend, um, train on the boat all weekend, and then I would come back. And at the start line, I thought to myself, I, I don't actually know these girls very well. Like I, I've never seen them in super challenging times and I don't know how they're going to react. But I suppose there's lots of situations uh, that other people deal with that are very similar. And I also knew that if they'd signed up to do this challenge, then they were going to be kind of my kind of people where they were ready to tackle the ocean just like me. But interestingly enough, two of them were introverts and two of us on the boat were extroverts. And at first I thought perhaps this could be an issue. But actually, looking back, I love looking back and realising what I've learned. The extroverts brought the introverts out of their shell and the introverts calmed the extroverts down. And so coming back to your comment about the video about us being content, I think we all just kind of leveled each other out and we had we had some logical thinkers on the boat we had some strong communicators we had all different kinds of qualities that it when it all came together it just was put together like a puzzle and we that's what made us such a good team just to have lots of different skills 
And um, to finish that race together, it, it, it was so overwhelming and almost couldn't really compute that we, that we did it. So maybe that's why we came across pretty chilled, pretty content, because our brains were just struggling to process what we'd been through for the last six weeks. It was a really bizarre feeling. I mean, I can't imagine you, I mean, a year ago today, you didn't know you were going to do that. And a year oh, is not very yeah, much time. Absolutely you know? right. And you're sitting yeah. here now talking about something that is, it's once in, you know, I know that's cliche once in a lifetime. It's once in 10 lifetimes. It, it's so unique of an experience. And I can't imagine that it's just a lot to process in a relatively short amount of time. Wow, that is really cool. Um, I, I bet you did feel like how this started out on a reaching out on social media, and here I am in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, <laughs> four people it's funny, I, or three people I barely know. <laughs> yeah, funny how things happen. I started off by writing it on my whiteboard, row across the Atlantic. Wow. I then thought, well, I'm going to have to put this. I can't just wish for it. I need to put it into action. So I made a very short video put it on Twitter. Um, and then that's when the team reached out and said, Hey, we just saw your video. Do you want to join our team? And just within the year, I made the video in February and within the year, um, you know, I was on the boat ready to go. It's just crazy how quickly things can change when, uh, someone puts their mind to something kind of always surprises me. I, you know, I, I'm a huge believer in and you have not because you ask not and not that you need to go around just asking for things, but just if you saw the challenge, had a video, you know, this hosting this show started out with just asking the former host, Hey, do you, do you need any help? And then it comes to like, it's now my show. You know what I mean? It's just a crazy how things happen once you're willing to just put it out there and see where it goes. I mean, it's, it's, bizarre in a way but now when you were out there I know it was a race and there were other teams how, how often did you see those other teams if ever and how often did you see signs of human life like besides yourself so it's very unusual to see any other boats out on the Atlantic however we actually saw we saw two boats actually we saw one boat we saw someone coming up behind us one day. Uh, I said, hey, guys, I think I can see a boat. And we spent two hours waiting for this boat to come closer. Then we got the binoculars and then we noticed that it was another team catching us up. And it was it, that's a really unusual um, – that's something that never really happens. And then towards the end, we were fighting for 10th place. And we was 0.5 miles away from another boat. However, we didn't actually see them because it was late at night. But we could see them on our chart plotter, on our boat computer. And so, oh, and then also we did have, there are two support yachts that do the start to the finish just to make sure that everyone's okay. So we did see two people on the support yacht. But apart from that, we saw we saw no other humans um, we did see some cargo ships. We saw some sailing boats at night and they reached out on the VHF radio and said hello. But apart from that, we just saw each other. So all just four of us for six weeks. <laughs> wow, this is so crazy. So did you ever see planes? Oh, we did see planes when we were coming to Antigua, uh, coming close to Antigua, which was the last five days. But Apart from that, no planes, just lots of shooting stars and a few cargo ships. And we we would often try and radio them as well. Sometimes they would reply and sometimes they wouldn't. And then those that did reply, sometimes they were friendly and sometimes they just didn't care at all. So I'd say, <laughs> I would say, um, let's say, for example, it was called the adventure sports boat i'd say adventure sports boat adventure sports boat this is liberty are you reading me over and then they'd say hello we're, hello we're reading you and i'd say oh we're four females from the uk rowing across the atlantic and then they'd just go okay <laughs> and then they just they just didn't care 
But then, then there'd be other boats and then they would have big conversations and asked us how we were and what we were doing. And that was really nice to hear a, a different voice and speak to a different human. And uh, that would get us really excited. That would be a real highlight if the person on the boat would, would actually talk to us. I, I bet it was exciting to, to see another human out there. I don't, I don't know. I just feel like that would be a big deal. Yeah, we we only saw we actually only saw two humans and they were from the support boat and we were all screaming, Oh, we can't believe that we you know, we can't believe you're here and they were about fifteen meters away from our boat. It was and then when they left it was oh okay, so it's just um us four again. Just heartbreaking uh, as <laughs> they go away. Yeah. Bizarre not to see any buildings or people or things for, for all that time to just be kind of just in this tiny little space, which is only 8.6 meters by 1.2. That's, um, you know, that's really small. It's smaller than most people's living room. Unreal. Now, I know that the trip was about, about ending single-use plastic. Uh, that's correct. Did you see any evidence of that or any evidence of any other sort of litter out there? Yes, we actually saw floating plastic about once a day. We saw more plastic than we saw wildlife, actually. And we would always try and identify what it was. Um, I'd love to say that we picked it up, but it's very unrealistic to say that we could pick it up because it's very, very hard to steer the boat in big waves. And at times we were going so fast that we wasn't able to then stop and turn around. Um, and also we was wanting to win the race so we could get as much publicity as we could to then share our message against single-use plastic. But we saw buckets, cups, bottles, polystyrene, fishing nets. Um, and that was just on the surface. You know, that was just what was floating. We couldn't actually see what was below the surface. And then one day we saw this really big object that was about 100, 100 to 150 meters away. And it I don't think it was, but it kind of looked like a fridge because it was that big and it was just big and white and floating. And um, we wish that we could have known what it was, but uh, it was going one way and we were going the other. So, yes, we saw it pretty much every day. Wow. That's unreal. I, I, you know, I hear that a lot when people are rowing or sailing or anything like that in the ocean. Did, was there anything else you saw that was really bizarre or out of the ordinary, whether wildlife or, or man-made? Oh, I well, there, there's maybe some of your listeners may have seen this before, perhaps on TV. So there are flying fish in the Atlantic. Oh yeah. So, um. You know, you. I had heard of them and I knew that they existed. And when we first started, I would wake up in the morning um, from my last night shift and I'd come out on deck and there would be these tiny little flying fish, maybe an inch long on the deck. But the further along the Atlantic we went, the bigger the fish got. One night I was rowing along, minding my own business, having a chat to Kate who was behind me. And this almighty slap hit my face. Thud, it hit my face with such such a bang. And it was a flying fish. It was about eight inches long. And then it sat in my footwell, flapping around its its wings, its fins, flapping around. And I screamed so loud, like from a horror movie. I just, it caught me by surprise so much. And um, I hadn't guessed, I didn't know this, but it turns out that I've got a little bit of a phobia of, live fish when they're outside of the water flapping around so I'm screaming going Kate Kate get the fish off the boat get the fish off the boat so she throws it back in but on another occasion she got hit in the face with a flying fish as well so that's that was quite a bizarre experience um also one of my teammates got hit in the face by a squid as well which was really weird it got (laughs) It got scooped up in the oars oh, and hit her in the face and then landed in the gully of the boat and then squidged, squidged its – it was phosphorescent as well. It was at night, so it was glowing this kind of 
greeny white glow and then it squidged out the side of the road like so so bizarre but most mornings we would wake up and there would just be fish debris all over the boat um there would be fish scales and sad to say dead fish just kind of on the boat where they'd landed and we didn't know and we couldn't get them back in um that was you know that's quite quite a bizarre experience time for a quick message break So, you know this show is brought to you by Camp Crate. They specialize in self-guided, pre-planned, all-inclusive backpacking adventures, as well as trip advice, and as well as camping gear rental. So if you're in need of any of that stuff, reach out to them at campcrate.net. Very helpful and very knowledgeable. It's a great way to try backpacking for the first time or to scroll through their list of itineraries if you need some ideas on where to go. They will literally send you all your gear, your food, permits, coffee even, in a box to your front door. Use it for your trip. When you're done, return it with the pre-printed included return label. It's that easy. It makes backpacking and getting into the backcountry very approachable, very simple. Give them a shot. Now back to the episode. That is, I did not expect you to say that. Flying fish hit you in the face. Yeah. Oh, and with such speed and such power as well, <laughs> to the point where someone might as well just slap you with their hand. Were you okay? You know, it's um. Yeah, I was, but I was tra- quite traumatized actually. I had no fish kidding. scales in my. Yeah, I had fish scales in my hair and fish scales on my hat, and you know they really smell as well. So for the rest of the evening, I smell like fish. <laughs> I believe um, it. I believe it. Which is totally not what you want when you haven't got a shower on board. You know, you're not showering for six weeks. You you don't want to be smelling like dead fish. Oh, my. That is the most bizarre. And then the squid, what are the chances it gets scooped up and then hits you? And, I mean, that is so crazy. I have seen flying fish. They fly much better than you imagine them to. I remember seeing them flying oh, like, in Florida, and I just I did I thought okay they jump out of the water and glide a little bit. No, they it, you it's bizarre how much they can actually fly. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. For those that aren't familiar with flying fish, definitely YouTube it. Um, they can go a hundred, a hundred and fifty meters. You know, they are flying fish, and and their their wings they actually look like bird wings. It's um it's odd, really, really odd. You know, I, 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 now that you bring that up, I haven't honestly thought about flying fish in years. It, it is an completely underrated animal. I feel like it doesn't get near <laughs> as much attention on social media or in any sort of programming as it should. That is so crazy, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We should start a trend. <laughs> yeah, flying fish channel. I mean, like, how many people think about that? I mean, you hear a lot about the, I hear a lot at least about the flying squirrels way more than I do about flying fish. Wow. Oh, yeah. Unreal. I have heard another really funny story from another team that they had the cabin door open and, and one of the teammates were asleep and a flying fish actually flew into the cabin and a fully grown adult man um, ended up screaming and kind of waving his arms around while the rest of the team were laughing. So, you know, they get everywhere. That is just, I did not expect them to make an appearance in this show, but <laughs> yeah. here they are. That's so funny. So, so you say, you know, that, that stuff, a lot of that stuff happened at night. Um, was, what was, the, how beautiful was the night sky and how many stars could you see out there in the middle of nowhere? Oh, it was, it was magnificent. Surprisingly enough, it wasn't as starry as what I first expected, perhaps because most evenings there was quite a lot of cloud, um, mm. which then covered, covered the stars. However, when there wasn't any clouds, we could tell in the day, towards the later part of the day, if it was going to be a great night and we would get really excited. <laughs> and that sometimes the stars were like millions of LEDs and it just lit up the sky. So it wasn't as though we was in darkness and that actually really helped us stay awake because there was more light penetrating our eyes. And the moon as well. We had a full moon. We had two full moons, which was just magnificent so huge coming over the horizon just absolutely enormous and then we did have the red moon as well i forget what it was called maybe the blood moon it's a um a part eclipse and in the middle of the night the whole moon turned red and it was just magnificent i set my alarm to wake up 
an hour into my sleep pattern just so I could gaze up and look at this bright red moon that just was burning bright in the sky. Uh, just glorious. We could see the Milky Way. We could see all the constellations. We could see planets as well. So there were these just glowing orange planets. We saw some shooting stars. One shooting star was so bright it looked like a firework and it burnt electric green and left a, a tail in the sky for about five minutes because it was just so so hot and so bright and just, like just magnificent to yeah it was and to just sit under that blanket that gorgeous universe and if you were tired or you were feeling sad or you were just think you know what i'm doing then you just look up and then you think this is why I've chosen to be here because so few people have can experience what we're actually looking at. Like the whole of the sky, 360, everywhere. Not a single uh, obstacle, not a single building, just everything. We could look anywhere we wanted. I mean, I, I'm trying to just imagine it, it. You know, we talk to a lot of people that experience wilderness on this show, on land, of course, and... I just don't think that compares to the magnitude of the ocean's wilderness. Like you are truly, truly out there with no one else. Now you were in a race and there were other people, but you were really far from the next person. Chances are most, most of the time. Yeah. Wow. Unreal. What, yeah. a, what an incredible, that would be my, probably my favorite part. I think in the sunsets, I'm sure they were gorgeous. Sunset was magnificent however because we were rowing it was always behind us which meant that we couldn't truly enjoy it mm. uh the su the sunrises were mag just absolutely magnificent because it, we were facing east and we could see the way she just popped her head over the horizon and there were times where the whole sky would turn peach um not orange not pink it was peach <laughs> and the clouds, it, and we just thought, wow, this is just so magic. And also that we saw rainbows and rain, um, rainstorms. And coming back to the night as well, we also saw a moon bow, which is a, a rainbow at night. Yes. And it was just lots and lots of colors of gray and white. And I've never seen one of those. I didn't even know it existed. And it was just, just absolutely magnificent. I've seen one moon bow and it was next to a waterfall on during full moon and it's it's like a rainbow on a grayscale in the dark it's unreal I, I, it's it's a very unique and bizarre experience so you you very fortunate to see wow yeah wow. it was great it was really great yeah it was really great so so during your off um, your off shift when you had the two hours do, and you did your tasks, did you ever just not want to go to sleep or did you ever, did you have anything else to do, listen to something or internet access at all? We had all fully uh, charged our phones with lots of audiobooks, lots of music, podcasts. So I, for one, had lots of adventure podcasts just to really kind of keep me in that adventure and motivated mindset there were definitely shifts of shifts where I didn't sleep and I would end up sitting on deck with the girls having a chat doing some admin like some laundry I would take care of my body maybe wash my hair um, but I would always then regret not resting in my next rowing shift because then that meant that I'd been doing something for four six hours so I soon learned that actually I would come off the oars and only do, I do my standard jobs, toilet, food and body care. And then I would only do one admin job and I would split my tasks up over two or three days. So if I needed to write an email or uh, fix something, if I would need to do some laundry, I would spread it, I would prioritize it and spread it out because even if I could get 20 minutes of downtime, that was better than nothing. And it just meant that my body and my mind could just rejuvenate ready for its next round shift. So towards the end, I would actually try and rest every single off shift just so I, yeah, I could just maximize and get the most out of my body. Wow. That's, that's unbelievable. I mean, 
I've never even experienced anything close to that sort of schedule and that regimented and that bizarre. And it's kind of fascinating because you get to experience almost every part of the day. And it it probably helps change things enough to where, you know, half of it's going to be at night, half in the day, half, you know, you're going to see the sunsets and rise and just all sorts of, at least it's a lot of change in that sense, even though the schedule's not. But, um, Man, what, so, so was it hard to adjust once the trip was over, back to normal life? Yes, it was. I, I'm normally of the mindset that these adventure blues that people speak of is is a bit of a myth, and actually, if you set yourself up for the adventure blues, then you're going to get them. You know, you are what you think you are. But I, uh, mm. I totally got proved. I, I totally got proven wrong on that. I thought I was going to be okay, but. After five days of being on land, that you know, obviously there was lots of celebrating and lots of partying. I didn't really take care of myself like I should. For example, I would be out dancing with my friends, having a great time, drinking alcohol, not getting a lot of sleep, um, not really eating frequently enough to restore my body. And after five days of being back on land, <laughs> I absolutely crashed, crashed and burned. Because suddenly, oh, something that I'd been working to, uh, a dream that I'd wanted for three years, because I'd actually wanted to row across the Atlantic for three years, a dream that I wanted to do for three years had suddenly been done. And uh, it was all over. And I wasn't going to get to experience that simple life out on the ocean again. And I was back on social media and I was on WhatsApp and iMessage and I was starting work again and you know I was showering every day doing my hair and makeup and um my brain was struggling to fit everything in okay so I would need to go and meet my dad for breakfast at nine and then we was going to do this and then we was going to go to the shop and okay and then we've got to go here and then we've got to go there and and I was thinking you know I can't I can't do this. There's too too much to think about. Like, just put me back on my boat, please, where I just had to row and then I had to rest. It was it was really bizarre. And mm. I would speak to a lot of other ocean rowers that took part in the event and they felt exact, exactly the same. It probably took five weeks for me to, to actually adjust back into real life, get a motivation to do my work and get up early in the morning and get all my house chores done you know it took about five weeks to to get back in the swing i believe it i believe it i definitely know the feeling of of the simplicity of your adventure and for those who haven't been on one you need to experience this the simplicity of an adventure whether it's through hiking a trail rowing an ocean biking you know cross country it's it's like you turn into a, an animal almost. It's instinctual. You're like survival. It's sleep, food, water, shelter, food, water, shelter. It's very simple, but it's beautiful because I don't think in our modern life we ever get life that simply and that uh, instinctual. And it is, it's a, it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so pleased you said that, Mason, because I'm sitting here nodding. Just, I just couldn't agree with you more. Doing an adventure just makes me feel so human and to just survive, but to not only survive, but then thrive in that environment, food, water, sleep, you know, on to the next destination, food, water, sleep, on. It just is hard, it's tiring, physically and emotionally draining, but I just feel so full and so human and just believe that's what we've been put on the earth to do. And I think that's probably why when people do do adventures, they keep going back to it because deep within our DNA, it's screaming, this is what we're here for. Please let me go again. Oh my, you, that, that's, I've never heard truer words. I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't know the science behind it. I don't know how someone would explain it. But that's the feeling. It's I you feel so alive. You feel like hmm. 
you just feel so in tune with your body like this is what i was made to do you have that sensation all the time that honestly there's more important things going on out there but right now this is the most important thing to me and man it it, it is addicting so dreamy and um you know you talk about the the rowing for two hours at a time and how how hard it must be but actually there's shifts where my whole brain would just literally just completely decompress it would just stop thinking and it would just go into this meditative state and um you know i was physically tired but mentally i i had so much clarity so much energy in my mind if something needed to be done i could i could execute because there were just so few things to think about um just four items of clothes a hat wow. and a rain jacket you know just so beautiful to not really have very much to think about the trick the trick for all of us is to figure how to bring that into our daily life because i mean yeah i have a closet full of clothes that i i i wear the same hoodie and probably the same pair of jeans every day and, and that's just a byproduct of adventure and i could get rid of i think i'm looking around in my office i could get rid of 90 percent of this stuff and never never think twice or more 99%. And wow, this, this, uh, <laughs> it's, man, oh, I need to get back on an adventure. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, in, in you getting through this and achieving really a life dream, especially the last three years, like a, just an amazing adventure. What, what do you do now? What, what is your job? What, what, like, what do you do in normal life? And what do you hope that uh, it's going to look like now? And how can people get in touch with you? Because you could just go ahead and drop all that. Yeah, hey, that would be great. If people want to get in touch and ask me questions about ocean rowing, then just absolutely go for it. They can ask anything, uh, any advice or, you know, any funny questions. I'll be absolutely honest. Uh, ironically, given that I enjoy the simple life so much and the primitive life, I'm a social media consultant. So I take care of adventure businesses and I take care of their Facebook, their Twitter, their Instagram. I create content. I basically promote and sell experiences. So uh, in terms of social media, that, that, that keeps me fulfilled because I'm encouraging people to get out on their own adventures. Wow. That's awesome. Um, yeah, really, really cool. I'm really fortunate. And then as for the future, I would love to carry on doing endurance events Ironically, I am I'm not really a rower. I don't really enjoy rowing. I know that sounds really odd, but I was a runner and I loved running marathons and ultra marathons. But there's something about ocean rowing and just being out in the middle of the ocean that just sets my it just sets my soul on fire. I just absolutely adore it and I've never experienced anything like it. And so I believe that my future might lie with ocean rowing and I'd like to do some more I'd like to do some more maybe the Pacific um, maybe do around some countries so let's see what the future brings with that and um, in terms of people looking out for me and seeing what I do do next or if they're interested in looking at some pictures and some videos of this Atlantic row then on my social media they can find me at Laura Try UK on all platforms so L-A-U-R-A-T-R-Y-U-K. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your story. Uh, I, I definitely foresee that you'll be doing more of this. I sure hope so, because we'll interview you again if you keep doing adventures. Um, but yeah, thank you for being on the show and, and sharing everything. Mason, it's been a pleasure. Your questions were fantastic. And I'm so pleased that you kind of, you're really feeling the passion oh, for the adventures as well. I've got a huge smile on my face. This is this is great. This is why I love talking to people that have done things like this and are not arrogant about it, you know? <laughs> I can connect with the, the, the experience of it. Yeah, I'm smiling my head off. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, uh, have a good one. And you. All right, see ya. First of all, thank you so much for listening to the episode. Uh, secondly, if you would like to get in touch, you can leave us a voicemail at 812-MAILPOD. 
You can also send us an email, info at adventuresportspodcast.com. Get a hold of us on Facebook, Instagram. Contact us on the website. Like, There's just a thousand ways to do it. If you know somebody that would make a good guest for the show, whether they're whether it's you or somebody you know with a really cool story or background or does an interesting sport, get in touch. We'd love to have them on. Also, if you'd like to be a patron, a.k.a. a supporter of the show, patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast you can sign up for as little as a buck a month you can sign up for five bucks a month and lastly thank you to our sponsors whose messages follow right now if you want to save 20 percent off the best backpacking food on planet earth go to peakrefuel.com and at checkout use the code asp20 so after all of this outdoor talk, if you're looking to plan your own getaway, head to BackpackTribe.com and get ready for your next adventure. They have customized gear bundles and free shipping, and they'll be able to get you ready for any adventure that you want to tackle. Check them out, BackpackTribe.com. <laughs>